It's the start of 2017, also to be known in the future as year two of the inevitable dystopia. New year, new rise of fascism. The new year is bound to bring you challenges, but digital media will be here to document it all. This podcast focuses on the intersection of technology, activism, and politics. I'm your host, Amna, also known by some as Mango. Welcome to More Than a Hashtag. Happy New Year! Here we are at episode 3. I didn't release an episode last week because even though this is a new series, I felt like I couldn't make an excuse to have a holiday break too, right? Now, there are a million and ten things I could cover with the never-ending circus that is the state of the world. But I've promised myself to keep these first few episodes focused on particular subjects. Okay, I can't resist one distraction. You know how our soon-to-be supreme leader Donald Trump can't seem to keep himself off Twitter? Well, if you haven't heard, Mark Hamill has decided to turn those tweets into more than just groan-worthy. Hamill, known to most as Luke Skywalker, is also the voice for the Joker from the original Batman, the animated series. He decided to use his vocal talents to start dubbing some of Donald Trump's tweets, including this one, where he had wished everyone a Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all, including to my many enemies, and those who have fought me and lost so badly. (laughs) They just don't know what to do. going to be a long four years. Okay, focus. Last episode, I decided to go over how Daesh, also known as ISIS, has utilized social media for its own gain, as it was relevant due to the attack in Berlin. I decided that for today's episode, I would delve into Tunisia and the 2011 revolution. Why? Well, January 14th will mark the six-year anniversary of the revolution, when Ben Ali was forced to flee the country, putting an end to his oppressive regime. I figured now would be the best time to talk about it, especially since I plan to cover it in some episode anyway. Fair warning, this is almost going to read like an audiobook version of my thesis. Hey, I spent a lot of time studying all of this. Might as well make more use of it. Besides, it's not like y'all are going to be reading it anyway. And it was with Tunisia and the following Arab Spring that really started the discussion of social media as a tool for revolution. Tunisia has won the accolades of the West as being the only success story of the Arab Spring, as defined by its transition to an allegedly stable democracy from years of authoritarian rule by Zini al-Abedin ben Ali. 
Tunisia is where the 2011 uprisings in the Middle East all began. And social media was credited for its vital role, to the point where some scholars and journalists have dubbed the Tunisian and Egyptian uprisings as the Twitter revolutions. While social media may not have started these revolutions, there is no doubt that social media greatly aided them. One reason Tunisia is known for its utilization of social media and the internet during the revolution is that the nation was one of the most advanced in the field of technology in all of North Africa. Ben Ali was an avid fan of technology and wanted to advance Tunisia's technology sector as far as possible. And Tunisia was the first Arab country to connect to the internet back in 1991. In 2005, the second phase of the World Summit on the Information Society, sponsored by the United Nations, was held in Tunis. This summit included talks of a global village as the international community discussed how to best connect in the digital age, with Ben Ali giving an opening speech, where he stated, quote, Keen as we are on building an information society guaranteeing the individual right of access to information and ensuring the free flow of information and knowledge, without restrictions or constraints, we consider it necessary to set universal ethical standards that will stand as a rampart protecting our societies against negative uses of modern communication means. End quote. The irony of the statement is that Ben Ali's regime was censoring the internet at this time, with a special division set up primarily to shut down those who criticized his regime, the Tunisian Agency of the Internet, or in French, Agence Tunisienne de Internet, ATI. Movements had been occurring in France for a month previous to the Tunis summit in an attempt to bring awareness to Tunisia's heavy censorship policies, but they were not enough to break the illusion Ben Ali had presented to the rest of the world. Moreover, his wife, Leila Ben Ali, was nominated for an award from the United Nations in 2007 for enabling technology excellence due to her apparent work with technology and those with disabilities. Ben Ali's family was keen to promote an image of embracing the digital age and technology while also stifling any dissenting voices that could now be present in the virtual world. Indeed, Tunisia benefited from the regime's love of computers. In 2009, broadband penetration was 24% in Tunisia, in comparison to only 7.4% in Egypt and 12% in Morocco. By 2011, one-third of the population used the internet, whether from home, work, or internet cafes, with 2.4 million people owning Facebook accounts. With technology already having a strong hold on the population, it was easier for people to connect online and begin sharing ideas, some of which increased resistance to the regime. Before Ben Ali's regime was toppled, cyberspace in Tunisia was full of activity, from normal everyday usage of the internet to bloggers and cyber dissidents critiquing the regime. In an effort to dissuade unrest, the video sites YouTube and Dailymotion were blocked, while other networks like Facebook had periodic blackouts. The government knew from its critics 
that the people were capable of connecting and spreading messages of distrust in the regime to others, causing bloggers to be targeted and waves of heavy censorship. In February 2003, nine Utes were arrested and accused of being terrorists, even though their only apparent crime was trying to access blocked sites. In April 2010, the government carried out a censorship crusade that blocked over 100 blogs and other sites. Activists coined the terms Amar and Amar Scissorhands as the name for the cause of 404 error pages that appeared due to blocked sites, though Amar was easily beat by using proxies. When not struggling with filtered internet, tech-savvy youth use social media and the internet in creative ways, such as tracking Ben Ali's private jet, which revealed that his wife would often go to Europe on expensive shopping trips. A quiet yet active cyber war was being waged between the youth and the government, with internet users finding ways to bypass state censorship and the government finding ways to hit back. Two known cyber activists, Slim Amomu and Aziz Amazi, planned a protest in Tunis in May 2010 as part of the Saeb Salah, meaning Give Me a Break, an anti-censorship campaign that had been started by young activists. Photoshopped images of Mark Zuckerberg, founder and CEO of Facebook, appeared with him carrying a sign reading, reading Saeb Salah, and indicated that activists saw Facebook as crucial to their campaign. Videos that could not be uploaded to sites like YouTube could be uploaded to Facebook, which quickly had become a platform for organized protest. And thus, cyber activists were able to share news that the state media would not. Cyber cafes, which were filtered and run by the government, were still able to become places where people participated in the cyber war by using proxies even at great risk. Despite going through all the legal procedures to obtain permission to hold the demonstration, Amamu and Amazi were detained and forced to release a video to call off the protest. Regardless, on the 10th of May, peaceful protesters still came out and flash mobs, not only in Tunis, but also France, Canada, the United States, and Ghana, sporting white shirts with slogans against censorship. The protests only agitated the government further, and the ATI began to hack into accounts and slander those who dared raise their voice ag voices against the regime. Lena Benmani, another popular cyber activist known as a Tunisian girl, had returned to her home on more than one occasion to see police had raided it. In April 2010, her computer, cameras, and other items had been taken, which made it clear that the secret police were targeting her. She was not alone. Other bloggers were arrested and detained for days to weeks at a time, some mentally and physically tortured. Zuhair Yayawi, a cyber dis dissident who founded a satirical site Tunisine, which also catalogued human rights abuses, suffered a fatal heart attack after being weakened from torture and hunger strikes while in prison for his activism and efforts to create a democratic forum that criticized Ben Ali's regime. Pseudonyms were in great use, but the government had its way of tracking down the dissidents. Cyber activists were by no means safe and sound behind their computers, facing real and actual threat from the government 
desperate to silence them. The use of social media and the internet allowed Tunisian cyber activists to connect with an international audience. Anonymous, the now world-renowned hacktivist collective, joined in, making an alliance with Tunisian cyber activists, like Tikriz, an anonymous network of dissidents, and assisted them in battling the government crackdown on the internet. They carried out denial-of-service attacks on non-essential government websites, posting messages and videos that showed their solidarity with the Tunisian people and demanding that the Tunisian government no longer infringe upon the right to free internet access. The government reacted by preventing its sites from being accessed from overseas, which was circumvented by anonymous training those inside the country how to carry out the massive denial-of-service attacks themselves. In the days marking the beginning of the revolution, Facebook noticed an irregularity in its security, realizing that a malicious code was recording Tunisian users' login information, which would allow the government to hack and shut down everyone's accounts. The company stepped in, rerouting Tunisian users through an HTTPS server, which encrypted information and thus was not affected by Ben Ali's malicious code, and making users identify friends and photos as a security test before allowing them into the account. Though claiming the move was apolitical and merely a move to ensure users' safety, the Facebook security team was able to shut out Ben Ali's government from further stealing personal information of users. The regime was beginning to run out of tricks to keep the cyberspace void of dissidents. When Mohamed Bouazizi self-emulated himself on the 17th of December, 2010, he probably did not realize the movement that was to follow. Young people of impoverished Sidi Bouzid took to the streets demanding change, frustrated with their current state of life and the way the government and police had been treating them. The cyber war between online activists and the government escalated, as cyber dissidents, most of whom were middle to upper class, joined with the poorer class who protested in the streets in late December. A high unemployment rate for a largely educated youth was the root cause for anger, not government censorship. Under Ben Ali, young people had few to no opportunities with the economy in shambles and the youth unemployment rate in 2010 at 29.5%. This anger and the growing resentment toward the corrupted regime had been simmering for years, and the public display of Bouazizi's burning body served as a catalyst for the anger pouring out into the streets. Further exasperating the situation was the WikiLeaks cables that presented the true level of corruption in the government and the West's complacency toward it. Nawat.org a Tunisian collective blog for discussing oppression and politics had actually published the cables before WikiLeaks on TuniLeaks and continued to consolidate information from across social media in order to present it in one place. This collective blogging outfit became a source for international media, aiding the connection between citizen journalists armed simply with smartphones and the world at large. Prominent cyber activists joined protesters on the streets, Demonstrations in solidarity with the people of Sidi Bouzid occurring in Tunis were broadcast live due to mobile phones recording the event. Kasserine, another struggling city, 
also held protests and demonstrations that were only being covered through materials being posted on social media. Videos were posted to Facebook and then quickly circulated. The hashtag, hashtag Sidi Bouzid, making its rounds on Twitter with over 13,000 tweets linked to the hashtag. Bloggers, who had been the most critical of Ben Ali's regime, continued to communicate and rally supporters of the uprising as they shared photos, videos, and sound bites with the internet. International news networks such as Al Jazeera, CNN, and BBC picked up these materials that were coming out of social media and broadcasted the news to the world, completely shattering the illusion of stability and prosperity that Ben Ali had created for Tunisia. Social media was also a way for other forms of protest to be spread. Al General, the pseudonym for Tunisian rapper Hamada Ben Omor, had been releasing protest songs underground since 2009. One of those songs released was a song titled Reas La Bled, or Mr. President, or a message to Mr. President, that addressed Ben Ali. Here's part of the song translated. Mr. President, you told me to speak without fear. I spoke here, but I knew that my end would be palms. I see so much injustice. That's why I chose to speak out, even though many people told me that my end will be execution. But how long must the Tunisian live in illusions? Sure enough, El General was taken into police custody on January 6, 2011. He was released three days later after being forced to sign an agreement that he would not release any more political songs. The cyber world was no longer waging a war against just censorship, but one against the regime as a whole uniting the desire for freedom of speech and liberty with the cries for social justice by working-class citizens who were on the streets, not merely online. Anonymous continued to support Tunisian dissidents, with hundreds of veterans of various revolution movements collaborating on the Guide to Protecting the Tunisian Revolution, which was disseminated both in print and by video online. The guide covered how to deal with violent riots, first aid, and safety when dealing with authority. Guide to Protecting the Tunisian Revolution General Strategies Band together into squads of civilians. Wear white hand band so military can distinguish you, be visible. Do not let children outside unless you are certain that it is safe and do not let them leave your sight at any point. Join forces with other neighborhoods. Each neighborhood should act as a squad, 
but must always be ready to assist others in the area. Always be on guard with as many men activists who had never met each other in person, banded together for a common cause, promoted the need for demonstrations, and continued protests amid risk of violence, and kept Tunisians and others around the world informed of what was happening inside the country's borders. Unable to appease the protesters and conceding the fact that his regime was diminishing, Ben Ali took his wife and children and fled Tunisia, taking refuge in Saudi Arabia. The regime had successfully fallen, and Ben Ali's departure set the North African nation on a path towards democratization, with demands for a new constitution to be written and for elections to be held. Tensions between the Islamists and the secularists dragged out the drafting of the new constitution into a two-year process, as the youth continued to protest and organize sit-ins to ensure that their needs were incorporated. Presidential elections did not end up taking place until October of 2014, when the conglomerate Nida Tunis party defeated the Islamist Inada party to head the presidency and the parliament. When I was studying in Tunisia in the fall of 2014, I was able to speak with a couple of activists who took part in the revolution. Remember Lena Benmeni, the Tunisian girl? I can still clearly remember when I met her in a popular cafe in downtown Tunis. I sat at a table with her and another man who never introduced himself. In fact, within a few minutes, he got up and another man took his place. While they were dressed casually, it quickly dawned on me that these men were her bodyguards. Even though Ben Ali had been chased from the country and Tunisia was about to participate in its first democratic presidential elections, cyber activists were still being targeted to a certain degree, mainly by those still having a sense of loyalty to the previous regime. Others I spoke to were general bloggers and civically, civically active women. They all agreed that social media played an important role in the revolution, though to varying degrees. The Arab Spring did spread by ways of social media, inspiring other countries to stand up to their governments, though they haven't had the same success that Tunisia has had. I remember I was in Paris the day that the results of the Tunisian presidential election would be announced. I was walking around the Arc du Tom when all of a sudden I heard a bunch of cars honking. Numerous Tunisian flags were being waved from the windows of these cars circling around the Arc, cheering for the victory of Nida Tunis. It was greatly uplifting to see. That is until the French police pulled them all over. Ah, France. So, where is Tunisia now, six years later? Well, in 2015, the Tunisian people won the Nobel Peace Prize. To be more specific, 
it was awarded to the Tunisian National Dialyde Quartet, a group of lawyers, activists, workers, and employers. It was a happy day for Tunisians, a reminder of what their work was accomplishing. Tunisia has unfortunately still been the target of various terrorist attacks and fragmentation of the Nida Tunis party, which was to be expected, as it was a party formed for the sole reason of beating out Inada, the Islamist party. Time will tell and show how the country overcomes various challenges. Tunisia still has a long way to go, but don't we all? brings us to the end of the third episode. I'm still playing around with timing and figuring out how in-depth I really want to get into these subjects. Um, I know people listen to podcasts that are like hours long, but those usually involve interviews and a more star-studded cast than Amna, her voice, and her research. And the little tunes I create in gar- gar- wow, I just said garbage. Garage band. Um... I really, really appreciate everyone who's been sharing the podcast, who's been telling their friends about the podcast. Um, It seriously means a lot, especially because I don't have money right now to, you know, put into ads on Facebook. Um, And also to people who leave reviews, um, iTunes, you can leave a review on there. I would really, really appreciate it. Um, There's so many podcasts out there, so when people kind of, you know see a couple of good reviews for one they're more likely to listen to it um so i'll where was i going with this oh yeah thank you to everyone who has given me um any kind of support and all the feedback um the reviews etc etc it seriously means so much i am new to podcasting i am still playing around with things um still figuring out what's best And um, if you have any suggestions or feedback, please, please, please drop a message on my Facebook, um, the Facebook page for the podcast, more than a hashtag, or you can send an email to mtahpodcast at gmail.com. Hopefully going to get the next episode out next week. I'm trying to make this a regular weekly thing. Uh, I am waiting on some news that might shake things up a little bit, um, but stay tuned for that. And I know there's a lot going on in the world right now. There's a lot I'd like to cover, just a lot in general with, you know, the cyber. But um, it takes a lot of time to research this stuff, and I have kind of been cheating by using stuff I already had in my thesis. So... I need to kind of sit down and really think out um, what future episodes are. And in fact, if you have ideas, if there's something you really, really want to like hear about, know more about, um, please drop me a line. Let me know. It'll help give me direction to, you know, future episodes of this podcast. Um, What else did I want to say? I'm completely doing this off script so you can see. A little peek into my mind, which is a complete jumble of information. Um, again, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your feedback. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you came away learning something from this episode. I am going to try and figure out a much more elegant way of ending my podcast than me just rambling like this. Um, so if you guys start sending me questions, I can even start like ending with like Q&A or something like that. But for now, this is me, Amna, or Mango, depending on where you know me from, uh, signing off. Again, please leave a review if you'd like, and I hope I will see you listening to future episodes, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day or week or weekend, depending on when you're listening to this. See you next time.